John chapter 4. I've entitled this message, The Samaritan Sinner, or better known as the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman. Um, All of those uh, titles uh, could uh, work here. Let me give you a little bit of context before we get to our reading. Uh, we, uh, last time we were together, we looked at uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And uh, Nicodemus, again, a, a religious uh, man. Uh, he was a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin. And uh, he had seen some of the things that uh, Christ had done. And uh, he came on behalf of others to come and visit uh, Jesus, ask him some questions. And uh, so Jesus said what? There's a famous line that he said. He said, you must be born again. And of course, uh, Nicodemus didn't understand what, what he meant by that. And so uh, he had to go and tell him. As a matter of fact, he said, how could you be a ruler of the Jews and yet not understand these things? And then he, he gave them a way which did not have to do with a list. Because remember, as a Pharisee, as, as part of the Sanhedrin, everyone was looking at each other. They were living up to a list. And what did he say? He said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And so he was saying, you know what? All you have to do is look and believe. All you have to do is believe. Now, we're, when we get to the Samaritan uh, center, the woman at the well, this is like the complete opposite here. All right. And, and you're going to notice that as, as we look at the woman at the well, when you think about Nicodemus and his background, where he is from, the fact that he goes to Jesus. Then you think about the woman at the well and her background and the fact that she kind of stumbles onto Jesus. Um, just two people from two different backgrounds. Uh, but before we get there, uh, the end of chapter 3, uh, there is a time where uh, Jesus is, is and his disciples, Jesus is not baptizing, that is clear here in John, uh, but his disciples are at least baptizing, and uh, they see Jesus, and, and I'm sorry, John the Baptist sees uh, Jesus uh, baptizing, or Jesus and his disciples, or his disciples, I should say, uh, baptizing. Anyways, and uh, so some of his disciples go, aren't you concerned? I mean, look at all of the people that are following him. And so uh, there's a question that is asked. And so John is still serving. He's still preparing the way. And so we see this in 324, for John had not yet been put in prison. Uh, there will be a time where John is put in the prison. Uh, John is uh, martyred. He is killed. Uh, but so far, this hasn't happened. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because there is points in the other Gospels where we see John is now arrested. That doesn't happen until the end of John chapter 3, which means that everything that we've looked at so far is still very early in Jesus' ministry. Even when we looked at the first calling of disciples and we looked at those accounts where uh, Jesus called out uh, to Simon and Peter and said, leave your boat and follow me, believe it or not, this, that hasn't happened yet. This is still very early in Jesus's ministry. And so uh, John is not in prison yet. He is still serving. And so uh, some of his uh, followers uh, come and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom bore, uh, you bore witness, look, he is baptizing all are going to him. And so they get a little concerned. They're like, wait a second, John, you have invested all of this time. And again, we're not talking about the disciple, John. We're talking about John the Baptist. You've invested all of this time. And look at 
Everyone is following him. Aren't you concerned about this? And this is John's reply. And this is not the whole reply. This is the summary of the reply. And this is found in verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. And so John did not hold on to his leadership. John realized that he had a very important purpose. That purpose was to prepare the way. And his response really says this. Disciples and other Jews that were there, really, you ought to follow Jesus. Really, my desire is that more people would follow Jesus. And so that is John the Baptist's reply. But you know, there were other people that were ready to stir up trouble. And so we find out in in chapter 4, the Pharisees got wind of this. And so the Pharisees were ready to cause trouble between these two believer, these two believing groups, these disciples. And so what uh, Jesus actually leaves, he doesn't want to stir up trouble. He doesn't want to cause any problems with John's, uh, dis- John the Baptist's disciples. And so uh, he leaves. And so let's go ahead and start our, our um, scripture reading in John chapter four, starting in verse three. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Let's stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for another opportunity as as your church to gather around uh, your word. We pray that you would use your word as you see fit, Lord. And we, as we think about uh, this Samaritan uh, sinner, the, the woman at the well, uh, we pray that we would be able to be encouraged as we think about really her transformation, her her life prior to Christ, her life after Christ, that we would be encouraged in our own faith, thinking about uh, possibly our life prior to Christ and where we are now. And so, Lord, we do thank you just for this opportunity to set some time aside to learn more about you, that you might be magnified, that you might be glorified in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to do is introduce um, our planks. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he had to pass through Samaria. That is what is recorded for us. And one of the things that I want to point out here is that he had to. So he had to pass through Samaria. Now, here is a map to give you an idea of what we're talking about here. And so this is where he was right down here. And he's going to travel up. He's actually on his way up here. Uh, but he travels through Sakar, where Jacob's well is. Now, this would have been the normal way for Jewish people to travel 
And yet, those who were very devout Jews would have went around. And so where would they have gone? Well, many of the Jews would have actually crossed across the river here, come up across here, and then come back over. And so when you think about uh, Jews going out of their way not to go through Samaria, that's where they would have taken. Instead of going right up into Galilee, they would have went around. Now, the question might be, well, why? I mean, isn't Samaria, I mean, we think about like the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan was a great guy. I mean, why, why did they have such a dislike for Samaria? Well, that area, uh, that area that we see uh, Jesus stopping at right there in the middle there, uh, that place used to be the center of the northern kingdom. And so that was a, a very important place. But... Um, the, the Assyrians came and they actually uh, took a lot of Jews out of that area. And they actually settled in there with Gentiles. And what ended up happening is within that area, they were either, uh, some, some people were either forced into marriage, some people willingly married, uh, but uh, the Jews began to marry some of the Gentiles. Well, they weren't supposed to do that. According to, to God's law, they were only supposed to uh, stay. They weren't supposed to take wives from other nations. And so they were, they were doing something that they weren't supposed to do. And so that was kind of like the, the first wrong on, on, on their part as far as uh, the Jews saw them. They looked at him and they said, no, 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 no. God told us not to do that. You disobeyed God. Now you're not really Jews at all. And so they didn't actually look at the people uh, in that area as brothers and sisters. They didn't see them as, as fellow Jew, uh, Jews. There was a second thing that ended up happening, and this is one of the reasons why uh, God said, don't take wives of other nations. One of the reasons why he said that is because they would be tempted if they took wives from other nations to also adopt the gods of other nations, and that is exactly what ended up happening here. And so here we have a place that used to be a central point in the northern kingdom. Another, um, another place that the Assyrians came, they, they moved a bunch of those people out. They settled Gentiles there. Now you have a group of people that have intermarried with, with the Gentiles. Not only that, they have accepted other gods. Now they're worshiping other gods of other nations and the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so for the Jews and very devout Jews, they looked at the people of, of Samaria as, as really like worse than Gentiles. I mean, they, in their minds, they would say, yeah, it's one thing to be a Gentile and not have the law. It's another thing to be a Samaritan. You knew better and you broke the law. And so they really looked down on these people. And so that's one of the reasons why, as Jesus passes through, this is kind of startling to his disciples. So if, I'm sure you have read uh, John chapter 4, and uh, we're not going to get into the reply of his disciples today because we have plenty to cover uh, this morning with just, just the woman. But um, this is why they're all surprised. And even the woman is, is surprised because there's a lot of history here, and it goes way back. And, and as far as the culture is concerned, um, this was not a place that that Jew would have traveled through. And yet the word of God says this, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we know he didn't have to, right? 
because many people traveled this way, all right? Devout Jews traveled this way. But the Bible says that he had to travel through here. And why? Well, because Jesus did not obey the culture of the day. Who did Jesus obey? He obeyed his heavenly father. And so he was on a mission. He had to do this because his whole purpose in coming to earth was to obey his father and do the work that that his father had called him to. And so he had a purpose in going through here. And of course, we see uh, that purpose. So when was he there? All right. So here in verse six, and, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, a couple of things I would like to point out here. First of all, he was wearied from his journey. All right, Jesus was tired. Okay, this trip, I don't know if you noticed in, the, in that last map, but it was mountainous. They would have climbed up mountains and down. I mean, they didn't like just cut roads through mountains like we have today. They would have went up and down, up and down, up and down. By the time they got to this stopping point, uh, Jesus was tired. He goes and he stops and he rests. John is very unique in the way that he writes his gospel because for sure there are parts, matter of fact, there's going to be a part coming up pretty soon here that you see Jesus as deity, you see Jesus as God, but but John is also going to show us Jesus' humanity. And this is Jesus' humanity. In walking this distance, he's tired, he's thirsty, and so he's, he's been traveling. It's now about the sixth hour. Uh, what time is that? Well, that's noontime. And so uh, the sun is, is high up in, in the sky, and uh, it, is, it is that noontime. He is tired. He's been on a long trip. He is weary. But that doesn't prevent him from teaching. That doesn't prevent him from serving this, this Samaritan, which is surprising uh, to me and not surprising to me because he's jesus but as americans we fill our lives with so many things matter of fact sometimes we're too busy to serve the lord and even in my own life i find myself filling my own life with lots of things and at the end of the day i feel weary and exhausted but jesus here finds himself weary and exhausted but he continues to serve. And so we see this lady come, and so this brings our character into the story. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to point out. She's coming to draw water. The normal time to draw water was either at sunrise or at sunset. In the middle of the day was not the normal time for a lady to come in and draw water. Then we should also know this. In, in our modern society, um, we, we can go out the forest here and we can push on the little push pad and get water from the drinking fountain. No big deal, right? No big deal. But that wasn't so in, in Jesus' time. They had to get, if they wanted water, they had to get it from the well. Now, this well was outside the city. And so uh, to give you an idea of, of the travel that was, was uh, needed for this, it would be as if we all got our buckets today, 
and we walked either to the end of Randolph Road, we filled our buckets with water, and then we walked all the way back to the church so that we'd have some water uh, for, for the service. Or if we walked all the way down Jeffcott, took the bend, walked all the way out there, filled up our buckets, and walked all the way back. And so we're not talking about just going outdoors like we think about like a uh, little house on the prairie and they went outside at the hand pump and they pumped the water and it was right outside their house. That's not how this is. This well is a, is a distance from them. And so they would normally draw water early in the morning uh, at sunrise or they would do it at sunset because it was a little cooler and because they were walking a distance carrying that water. So there's something particular something interesting happening here for some reason this lady comes out in the middle of the day all right so jesus is sitting there he starts a conversation with her uh, give me a drink and then we see this in verse 9 the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew ask for a drink from me a woman of samaria for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we just learned why uh, the Jews didn't deal with the Samaritans. Uh, there was a conflict. Matter of fact, the conflict ended up becoming so heated um, uh, that uh, later on, this is after Christ's death, there's actually uh, like a war between the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that the Roman army actually had to go in and, and break things up and to actually kill some people uh, to kind of calm everything down. So... Uh, when we think about this heated debate between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, uh, it came to blows and a war at one time. They really uh, did not like each other. And so we see her say this, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now notice that she doesn't just say, from me, a Samaritan. But she actually points out that she's a woman of Samaria. And why would she point out the fact that she's a woman? Wouldn't Jesus already know that she's a woman? Well, there's another thing that we don't understand in our culture today that would have been a little bit different back then. Back then, men did not talk to ladies they did not know. And so if you, were, if you were traveling and there were some ladies traveling as well, you didn't talk to them, all right? Matter of fact, some of the Pharisees, even when they were out and about, they wouldn't even talk to their wives. And so it was kind of this understood thing. You don't talk to other women. And, and for those that are really devout uh, Jews, they didn't even talk to their own wives when they were out and yet we see Jesus stop, and he begins a conversation with this woman at the well. Again, going against the social norms of the day, all right? Passing through Samaria, talking to a woman of Samaria. And so this really surprises this Samaritan woman, all right? Why are you asking a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? There's something else here as well. The Jews, in their dislike for the Samaritan, they actually saw the Samaritan people as unclean. And so they, they just looked at it and they said, you're always unclean. Therefore, if a Pharisee would have known that Jesus drunk some water from, from uh, this, uh, this uh, Samaritan woman, they would have said, you have made yourself now unclean. And she knew this. And so she realized that the Jews never asked for things from the Samaritan. 
And, and even within the religious group, if, if they would have realized, if they would have known that he was asking a drink from the Samaritan woman, they would have said, see, you have now defiled yourself. You are now unclean. But again, that's not how Jesus sees it. Because again, what is Jesus' purpose? To care about what others think of him? No, he's not a Pharisee. Instead, his primary purpose is to fulfill what God has for him. He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's exactly what he is doing here. He knows this woman has a need, and he is prepared to fill that need in her life. We see this in verse 10, and Jesus asked her, if you, have the, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That word living water is like a fresh stream of water. So this is not um, a pond. Uh, This is not stagnant water. This is fresh, cool, living water. Like, I don't know what it is uh, when I'm uh, camping. I haven't been camping in, 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 in a while, but when I was a kid, camping and hiking up those little streams and that water running down the streams man it just looks so appetizing i mean i just want to dip my hands in and drink it i don't but i do want to just because it looks so refreshing especially if it's a hot day and that's what he's actually talking about here would have given you living water the picture is fresh spring water that you want to drink And of course, her reply is this. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? The well there, uh, Jacob's well is very deep. Uh, Today, it is still about 100 feet down. It it was probably uh, deeper uh, during Jesus's time. It's been filled in a little bit. Uh, But it is a very deep well. And so you see her comment, how could you? I mean, are you going to climb down this well and get get water? You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to draw water from the well? Then in verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. And he did, uh, as did his sons and his livestock. Great question. So she's kind of going through all of this. She's thinking about this special landmark there in, in um, uh, Samaria, this, this uh, Jacob's well. And so this is really important to them. And, and so she asked the question, are you greater? And notice she uses the word greater than our father Jacob. As a Samaritan, even the Jews, the Jews may not look at her as, as, as another Jew. They, they look at her as a half-breed. But you know what? She sees herself as a descendant of Jacob. She sees herself as as a Jew. And so are you greater than our father Jacob? And of course the answer is what? Yes. Yes, Jesus is greater. And so Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so the very first thing that Jesus tells this woman, of course, her question is, are you greater than Jacob? And, she's, and, and this is his reply. Jacob's well will meet your needs for today. 
You're going to have to come back tomorrow. You're going to have to get some more water. What you have here will meet your physical need. But you know, what I have to offer is something greater than that. It will really meet your spiritual need. And so Jesus is greater than Jacob. And that's what he's pointing out to her. She doesn't quite fully understand. Matter of fact, he's already kind of uh, given her some things to mull about when he said, uh, give me a drink. And you would have asked him, give me this, or you would have asked, give, and he would have given you living water. Of course, some of the thoughts going through her head is, who is this guy? What is this gift? And what is this living water? So he's already started some, uh, some ideas in her mind. And the very first thing he reveals is, I am greater than Jacob. Now, why would he use this idea of living water? Well, there's probably several reasons. One, uh, today, in today's society, we can, we can uh, kind of put water anywhere. We just run it different places. If we have a field, uh, we can run water out to the field. If, if you buy a property here in Wilton and you don't have water, uh, you can call the local well guy and maybe he'll uh, drill you a well. You can get some water. And so uh, water is, is much easier today. But in a dry, arid climate, water was very important. Where there was no water, there was no life. There was no plants. It was, it was dirt. But where water was, life sprung up. And so when he compares himself to living water, he's talking about that I am life. But there's another thing that potentially Jesus is connecting himself to, and that is to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God prepares himself to water. And so this is found in Jeremiah 2.13. This very well might be what Jesus was referring to when he talked about himself being that living water. This is Jeremiah 2.13. It says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, Broken cisterns that cannot hold, uh, that can hold no water. Now, what was a cistern? A cistern was like a, um, oh, I don't know. It was like a, a like a holding cell for water, and so they would filter water in there, and then they'd be able to draw that water out. But it was not fresh water. That was not good water. If you had a broken cistern, what would end up happening is that water would end up just leaking out into the ground, and then it would really be no good to anyone. And here God is saying, you have exchanged fresh, good water for stale, polluted, yucky water, and even the containers that you have put them in is broken. Now, if Jesus is connecting himself to this, then we see why he's talking in this way to the Samaritan woman. And he is saying, you know what? You have exchanged a very good relationship with the God of Israel for these other gods. You have adopted these other gods from other nations. You are now drinking from this polluted water, and you need to get back to that living water. Very well, Jesus could have been connecting himself back to the God of Israel, the great I am, and saying he is the living water. But there's a second idea, and John brings this up. Matter of fact, later on in John chapter 7, we read this. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow 
rivers of living water. Now, we're familiar with that idea. He just said that. But he goes a little bit further. Now, and this is John here, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in John's kind of caption here, as Jesus is referring to himself in this, this, this water, G, John gives us a little caption and says, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so really he's saying to this lady at the well, you are thinking about this daily need, but I really want to give to you something more important than really just your daily water. I want to give to you the Spirit, God's Spirit. And so notice the woman's reply here. And the woman still really didn't understand. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's thinking convenience. All right, convenience. Again, if, if we had to grab a bucket every day and walk all the way down to... Uh, the end of Jeff Cod or the end of Randolph Road and, and get our water and come back, uh, that, would be, that would make us tired. I mean, we would be also be thinking, yeah, give me this everlasting water so I don't have to run and get water uh, every day. But not only that, she would have realized, if you can really offer this, this is not only something I need, this is really something that everybody needs. Everyone is living and dependent on this well. Everyone is dependent on water. And so Jesus points himself out, and this is the second thing that Jesus does. First of all, he points himself out as greater than Jacob. Second of all, Jesus is the source of the living water. And so again, he is better than Jacob, and he is better than the well. Those things will meet your physical needs. He is here to meet those spiritual needs. And then notice what Jesus says. This is in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband, and come here. This is really um, tactful on Jesus' part. Does Jesus know the circumstance that this lady's in? Yes. But he doesn't just like take out the guns and start firing on her life and saying, hey, you're a sinner. Instead, what he does is he eases into it. He already knows the way this conversation is going to go. Instead, he is allowing her to admit to her sin. And so he asks the question, and, and she would have already realized, if you truly do have this water, I need it, and other people around me need it. And so Jesus says, go, call your husband, have him come here, and he can receive it as well as the idea. In verse 17, and the woman answered him, I have no husband. She stops there. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband for what you have said is true and so jesus puts his magnifying glass on her life and he points out her sin now i don't know why she's in this circumstance all right it, it could be maybe she had some really bad relationship uh, maybe she had to flee uh, some husbands and she ended up uh, having more husbands, maybe that's the case. Uh, maybe things just didn't work out with other husbands. Maybe she was really trying to just find 
fulfillment in men rather than fulfillment in God? I, I don't really know. But if you talk about the whole cistern thing and, and broken cisterns, it could have been well, very well that she was trying to find her, I don't know, her importance in a husband. And what Jesus was trying to tell her was really your importance should be found in God. And so we need to be careful of that as well, not to find our importance in men and women of this world, but instead really to find our importance in the Lord. But let's continue here in verse 19. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And this is the third thing. So first of all, Jesus reveals, I am greater than, than Jacob. The second thing he reveals is, I am the source of the living water. The third thing that he reveals is, uh, Jesus is a prophet. So he does speak on, on behalf of God. And so Jesus is uh, that prophet. And she recognizes that uh, based upon what he has just uh, told her, that Jesus is a prophet. He is greater than the well. He, is, he offers a gift, and he is now speaking on behalf of God. So she changes the, changes the subject. She, uh, she adjusts things a little bit. Jesus has really kind of hit on a sore spot in her life, and so uh, she wants to change things. And so she, she really is, is setting a trap of a debate. All right, and so here in, in verse 20, our fathers, I mean, this guy seems to be a prophet. I'm going to throw, them, throw him in this debate. This is going to get him off topic. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. All right, this is a debate that was happening between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans said, you worship here. The Jews said, no, you worship in Jerusalem. Verse 21, and Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And of course, what is, what is Christ referring to? Well, he's talking about there's going to be a time where that curtain that, that separates the commonplace from the most holy place will, will be torn in two. There will be a time where the Holy Spirit comes into our life, that living water that we will take God everywhere. We will become the temple of God. That it won't be in Jerusalem and it won't be in Samaria. It will be everywhere that we can worship the Lord. And so just a reminder to us that Wilton Bible Church is a place to worship the Lord, but it is not the only place to worship the Lord. You can go on a walk with your dogs and enjoy God's sunshine and God's plants and God's butterflies, and you can thank the Lord for his creation and worship him. And so really, as Jesus is speaking here, he's saying, I understand that, that there's this big debate on where to worship, but I'm just letting you know that that is not important because one day you will be able to worship him anywhere. In verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And, and what is he speaking of? Well, he's speaking about himself. He is that savior, that savior that came from the line of David, that promised Messiah. But he hasn't yet revealed that to her. So we see this in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
And so, again, that uh, it's not going to matter whether you're a Jew or Samaritan. Really, uh, we can all come and worship the Lord, even as Gentiles, because of what Christ has done. Verse 24, God is spirit. Takes an opportunity to teach her something and maybe teach us something this morning as well. God is the spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Sometimes we think about God as a person when we think about Christ. But, but God the Father, he's a spirit, which means that he is not in one place at one time. And so she may have been thinking about some of those idols that they had adopted into their family. And matter of fact, that she had several husbands, it could have well been that she had several different gods from other husbands that she had adopted as well. And what he is pointing out to her is, I know you have to go and you worship that idol. That idol is in one place. But that's not how Yahweh, the God of Israel, works. God is a spirit. He is everywhere. Therefore, we can worship him everywhere. So God is spirit. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, she does something here that we might not catch right away. She recognizes that she doesn't have all the answers. She recognizes that what she is hearing from Jesus, Jesus appears to have all of the answers. And now she is recognizing that her herself does not have all the answers. Therefore, she has to wait for the Messiah. And then Jesus does something very unique here. Again, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus says to her, in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who you speak to you am he. What is Jesus saying? You are waiting for the Messiah. You are waiting for the person to give you the information that you need. I want you to know, again, here is a woman, a Samaritan, uh, in, within the Jewish culture, rabbis did not teach women, all right? They definitely did not teach women who were Samaritans. And they definitely did not teach women who were Samaritans that had five. They did not do that. But Jesus stops and he does this. And then he reveals to her, I am the Messiah. The man who you're speaking of, I am he and so Jesus has really taken her kind of on a little trip here. He started off with the water, all right? Offer me some water. If you knew who asked you, you would have asked, and I would have given you that, that living water. Well, are you better than Jacob? I am better than Jacob. Well, what is this living water? I am the source of this living water. I perceive that you are a prophet. I am a prophet. Well, when the Messiah comes, he will reveal all of these things. And then Jesus says, I am that promised Messiah. He has taken her from a conversation that deals with water to everlasting water, to worship, to who he truly is. He has revealed something very, very special to her. And so notice her reply. And the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, why? I mean, John leaves for us 
uh, this, this fact here. She left her water jar. Now, I'm not really sure exactly why John uh, put that description in there. I don't know if it's because she had received that living water that, that she truly did believe. I, I don't know. It could have been that she was so overcome with who Jesus was that she forgot what she was doing. Or maybe it was that it was such an important task for her to go and share this Messiah that she dropped that water bucket right there and quickly went back to where the people were. Now, this is an interesting takeaway here. This is the exact same place the disciples were just at. They left to go get food. They left to go get lunch for Jesus. Nobody came back with them. Jesus has this encounter with this Samaritan woman sinner, and she immediately goes out and goes and shares who Jesus is. She goes and pleads with people, come and see this man. Come and see this man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And notice what happens as a result of that. Many Samaritans, this is in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so, uh, uh, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Again, it didn't seem to, to be that he was traveling to make it like a quick way to Galilee. Uh, he was purposely traveling through Samaria for this opportunity uh, to talk with these people. And many more believed because of his words. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Pretty incredible. So the disciples, they go, they get food, they don't really, apparently, they don't share the fact that Christ is there. And again, it, it could have been that they were really kind of like under the pressures of society. They were in Samaria. They looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. You're like lower than the Gentiles. And so they didn't really talk to anyone. They just went in there, got the food, and came back out. But Jesus stops. He doesn't really go with the flow of the culture. He goes against the culture because his priority is to share that good news, that living water, that new birth. And so he does that. So this is a reminder to us that it is both Jews and Gentiles, it's both people. And when we think about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Jew, a righteous, a man who followed many things, a ruler of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin. People look to him. But then on the other hand, you have this woman, a sinner, comes in the middle of the day, not when everyone else is coming. Nicodemus, he goes back, and, and he does stand up for the Lord, but, but not right away. But then you have this other woman who is a sinner, and immediately she drops her bucket, and she goes and tells other people. Last time we were together, we talked about Nicodemus. We talked about that, that secret follower. But then as we come to this Samaritan woman, she really is willing to tell anyone who will listen. And those who do listen believe not just because of her words, 
but because of uh, because they actually stopped and they talked to Jesus, and they realized that indeed he was the savior or is the savior of the world. And so here Paul says this comes from Romans ten twelve. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. That's the idea of Jews and Gentiles. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Here we have really a difference between Nicodemus in in chapter 3 and we have this woman at the well which we're not even given her name just she's just referred to as the woman at the well in in verse 4 and we see the two differences that these two people made really the guy from Nicodemus he had everything going for him his life was all put together matter of fact if he was in this room right now he would be one of our elders but then we have over here on this side, we have a Samaritan woman. This person would have been the person that came right off the street. She doesn't know, all right? She's, she's been through many, many sins, many heartaches, and yet her life is truly changed. Her life is all messed up, but she uses that, or God uses that to touch many people's lives. Now, sometimes in our own life, we have a tendency to think, my life is all messed up. How could God ever use me? But then stop and think about Jesus' disciples. Think about the 12. Were these men all put together? They were not. These men were also a mess, but they were disciples. I, as I was called in the ministry, walking back and forth to the, uh, to the school bus, guess what? My life was a mess and today my life's just an my life is an organized mess all right and maybe that's where you see yourself as well an organized mess but god has a way of using people right where they are to accomplish great things and so i don't know where you think you are i don't know if you think you're more on the nicodemus side you got your life all together or whether you're here on this side of the, of the woman of Samaria, maybe your life is, is, is a, a bit of a mess. But just know this, God can use both of these individuals to accomplish his will on earth. Again, Jesus said, or was recorded for us, is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Did he have to go through there? No. Devout Jews would have went around. He had to go through there because that was God's will. God's will were, was for him to talk to this Samaritan woman. God's will for this Samaritan woman was to go back and talk to her people and to encourage her people to come out. And so wherever you find yourself, don't think, you know what, my life is a mess. God could never use me. And let, instead, let God use you right where you are and to take you, just like he took this woman at the well, starting with water. I am greater than Jacob. I am the source of that living water. I am a prophet. I am the Messiah. Let Jesus take you right from where you are and build you to where you should be. And that is truly the idea of becoming a disciple, making a disciple, growing in grace and knowledge. It is right where we are 
and allowing God to take us where we ought to be as we follow behind Christ. So wherever you find yourself today, continue to move forward with Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you for the encouragement that we find here in this Samaritan woman. A woman that really her life, uh, when Christ uh, comes on scene, is really a mess. I don't know if she made it a mess or whether there was just relationships in her life uh, that made it a mess, Lord. I'm not really sure. We're not really sold. But we do know that you had the answer to her mess, which is that living water that relationship with you that that potentially maybe she was uh, trying to find uh, her place in the world found in men and in people. And what you try to reveal to her is that she needs to find her place in the world found in you. And Lord, maybe we try to do that same thing. Maybe we try to find our place in the world, our value in the world based upon other people and what other people think about us. But Lord, let us not find value in that. May we find value in you and what you think of us. First of all, Lord, we thank you for loving us. As we think about Jesus being that that living water, we thank you for the Holy Spirit in our life. We pray that truly we would find our value in you and in our Christianity. Not in not in simply being John or or being a father or even being a pastor, Lord. But help me to find value in the fact that you have saved me, that you have a purpose for me, that you have a will for my life. So thank you, Lord, for what you continue to do in my life and in my family's life and in the people's lives who are here today. Lord, never allow us never to underestimate what you can do through us. Again, Lord, we think about this this. Nicodemus, a man who had everything together but was very secretive in his relationship with you. Then we think about this lady who really had, her life was a mess, and yet she was willing to go out and to share that good news with everyone who would hear. So Lord, help us to identify with that. Help us to realize that truly we do have a lot to learn, and that's why we are your disciples. Help us to to continue to grow in our relationship with you, whether it's through the Bible teaching here at Wilson Bible Church or whether it's through our own personal reading time uh, throughout the week. Help us to realize that worship isn't supposed to be just on Sundays, but really worship should be happening seven days a week as we get alone with you. So Lord, continue to help us to grow into the Christians we ought to be in Jesus' name. Amen.